never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Hi guys, welcome back to my Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Press that little subscribe button down there. We've got amazing guests here. And it's just, I'm actually so honored to have made contact with people who really are out there to change the world and make this world a better place. And today's no exception because of Victoria Volk with me. Victoria has been for years now out there and one book at a time, one interview at a time is out there and is leaving a legacy. And so therefore I'm I'm so honored to have her on my show. Welcome. Uh, I wanted to say willkommen, automatically using the German words. Well, here you go. Willkommen, welcome uh, to my show. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. And actually, the area in which I live, they call it the Iron Curtain. The Iron Curtain? Goodness gracious. Yes. Where is that? <laughs> Very German. Yeah. All right. All right. Hague. The town in which I live is called Hague. Okay. H-A-G-U-E, yeah. Uh-huh, well, here you go. Are you familiar with uh, Lawrence Welk? No, no, not yet. Oh, he was a huge German polka music. I mean, he was the polka music icon, and he was born and raised 13 miles from where I live. So, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Very well, German. I was about to say, well, polka, that is typically, as soon as you hear that, you see me running for the door. Okay, so <laughs> give me rock and roll. Give me give me any kind of other music, okay? Apart from maybe rap <laughs> and techno. <laughs> <laughs> but no polka i draw a line <laughs> oh my goodness here we are laughing and that is exactly the way we should be isn't it but yeah. today's topic is really uh, is a bit of, of an interesting one because uh, we we could talk about so many things with you you're an established author you're a woman who has been trying to make a difference for the world for for some time therefore you have grown and there are many aspects of of life that we could explore but let's talk today about the boundaries and let's talk maybe about the problem of us being trying to be nice and trying to be kind especially to family members or people who are close to us and in reality instead of being kind we're actually enabling behavior that maybe needs to be called called out that needs to be addressed i think that is one of the hardest things for me um i can maybe uh do that easier with someone i don't know but when it comes to your own family when it comes to your to the people you love i'm still crap at that uh it's it's a thing that i'm still learning the hard way so therefore i'm so pleased that you are here and if you can explore that maybe i can learn from you a little bit how what is your take on things but you don't you don't wake up you know as a as a as a teenager think you know what shall i do what shall i do with my life oh i know i know i'm gonna become a grief counselor a specialist in grief and maybe what's some day what's some day i talk about um enabling behaviors nah. <laughs> i mean how did you how did you grow up how, what was your what was your vision of yourself when you were a 12 year old 
I can tell you, I didn't picture myself sitting in the chair I'm sitting in and talking on a podcast or having a podcast of my own, much less writing a book about my experience or doing any of the things that I'm doing now. I, I didn't see it as a kid. And I think it's because of all of the grief and trauma that I experienced as a child from a very young age. And my from the age of six and a half, seven, um, my father was sick with cancer. So was my grandmother, which was my mother's mom. So within a very short period of time, my mother lost her mother, her husband, and then remarried. Um, and also her oldest daughter moved away, who was a very, uh, very much a huge support to my mother and also to me because she was like a second mom because she was nine years old. She's nine years older. And so there was a lot of change and uncertainty in a short amount of time. And then I was sexually abused. And so just from you know, grief is cumulative and it's cumulatively negative. And so from a very young age, my grief had just been stacking up and stacking up and stacking up. So if you would have asked me at 12, which was also a year that I had been abused, um, I don't know that I even wanted to be. I didn't even want to be in my own body, much less where I was standing in my home, you know, I very much disconnected from myself at that point. And like grief does, it does create a disconnect from ourselves. It pulls, puts this veil over our eyes where we, we stop seeing ourselves clearly. So we stop seeing other people clearly and we can get so easily stuck in this victim mindset, which is where I was for many years, over 30 years. I even have a chapter of it in my book, The Victim Mindset. And it, when this happens, we can then, it can manifest in different ways for all of us, but in a lot of ways, very similarly, either we implode or we explode. So we may resort to behaviors that help us feel better for a short period of time, like alcohol or shopping or gambling or sex or fantasy or social media, things like that. Mm. Or we can um, explode. So we might be very angry with other people. We might um, have physical symptoms, actually. We might experience migraines. And so that's the implode. And the explode is, you know, these outward behaviors implode is basically disease and disease. If you think about disease, the word disease, it's dis ease in the body. And so through the years in progressing through my own grief and trauma and mm. resorting to alcohol and relationships and things that were just very unhealthy for me, um, I didn't have the coping skills I didn't have the education or the knowledge and how to deal and process with my trauma and grief. Like most of us don't receive when we are born, right? Our, because as parents, we resort to what we know. Hmm. And so if we did not receive that education, we're passing down exactly what we learned as kids. And so that generational pattern 
and cycle continues. And this is why you see patterns of alcoholism in families and these repeated behaviors, because we learn by seeing as children. And we're sponges. And actually, by the age of three, we've learned 75% of what we will learn in how to cope and respond to life. And by age 15, we've learned the rest. And so pair that with the frontal lobe not being fully developed until you're like 25. There's a lot of opportunities for us to create grief and suffering um, onto ourselves, right? Much less if we don't have guidance and tools and things um, shown to us and given to us. And it's so common. When you look around, there is so much, um, so much of the same story repeating. Now, some of the stories are obvious as hell, you know, that is unfortunately as a doctor, as an anesthetist, I anesthetist, many flow on effects um, from those facts that you have just mentioned, i.e. the domestic violence, the fractured mandibles of fights, the putting the hand through, through glass, and most of the time the glass wins, um, you know, those kind of things. But they are far more common than that. And I mean, that's the tip of the iceberg that I see. But when you actually look at the people, the normal quotation people around you, and you put them under stress, or they find themselves under stressful situations, even without anyone doing anything, um, sometimes behavior changes. And sometimes you see a different version of that person coming out and under distress, or maybe even then under huge stress, this regression happens towards maybe showing the victim mentality, showing the outward explosion, all those kind of things. So if you actually look at it, it is so common. I mean, you could you could argue that virtually everyone out there has had their share of trauma. Some of us are really good in that and accumulate a lot of it. And maybe then also become really experts in the coping skills that you've mentioned. <laughs> did did alcohol become an, an, a coping skill for you yourself? It did. It did. I knew oh. every drink special every night of the week. <laughs> Excellent. That is what we do. We do. Yes. 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 And, and in all fairness, it helps there and then for that microsecond. The, the 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 relief that comes from pouring down that glass, the second glass typically, when your shoulders start relaxing. And there's this, ah, when you finally started to escape your reality. Ah, oh, that's beautiful. So let's, those of you who are still out there and drinking, you, you guys probably recognize what I've just been talking about. The problem is you have got, you have got the underlying problems not going away. Um, and often enough being compounded. So now you're not only anxious, uh, the next morning you have get hangover and anxiety. And I call it in my book, anxiety. Um, there you go. <laughs> so shit, that doesn't go away. And uh, guilt and shame. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The evil twins. I love them. Oh, I was so good in them. So between the kind of poor me, poor me, victim mentality, and then all that loaded upon, Wow, what an 
devilish roller coaster of darkness. I mean, this was really, that's, wow, that was my life. But I only saw that really way down the line. How was it for you? Did you get get glimpses of those kind of things? Did you experience your emotions, your feelings? Or were these just waves of neurochemicals that were washing you around like, like a cork in a, in a stormy sea? I did not see it because I was so in it. Oh. And it wasn't until, I mean, I, I should have been fired from my job. I was late so many times and hung over. And my job was like, I was a phlebotomist. So I had to like stick people with needles, like my goodness sakes. Yeah. Right. I worked at a blood bank and, um, you know, it's a blessing they didn't though, because I think that would have been probably my breaking point. If I would have lost my job, I, I think I would have really downward spiraled at that point, but my license was almost suspended. Um, I had a lot of fender benders and speeding tickets and I was just a train wreck and I didn't see it. And no one around me was telling me, Hey, I think you might have a problem. May I, yeah. may I challenge you there? Mm -hmm. I think with hindsight, many of my, of the people around me tried to challenge me never in a, in a face to well, maybe two, three times, face to face, bang, come on, Stefan. But in roundabout ways, they wanted to be there for me. And I probably mm. rejected them and refused help, believing, no, there's nothing wrong with me. Um, was that maybe the same for you? It could have been. I mean, I don't recall like a sit down any or anything like that. You know what I mean? But I think were there probably whispers behind my back mm. probably mm. but i think i actually hid a lot of the a lot of um you know basically my roommate and i were two peas in a pod mm. you know and so i had a partner in crime and so i really didn't have to i i didn't have to hide it from her right because she was my partner in crime and and I think when it came to work, I was, I became really good at uh -huh. pretending I had it together. Mm -hmm. Of course. Oh, that sounds so familiar. <laughs> oh, shit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, sooner or later, though, that kind of, I have it together, um, pretends that that mask slips um, and is is you you are not in a stable kind of pattern typically i mean certainly most people that i talk to that slope is like that and you're soon sliding faster and faster and faster so whilst you described yourself there as a, as a high functioning alcoholic and you could you could say that that is an oxymoron just functioning alcoholic maybe <laughs> um when did things come to a crunch or were there multiple little crunches? Well, fortunately, um, and I, I honestly, I, in hindsight, I can't even tell you what prompted me or what, what it was, but I decided to 
try hypnotherapy. Nice. I went to see a hypnotherapist mm-hmm. and some deep seated stuff about my father's death came up, but I didn't feel like I, and actually also what came out of that was I found the courage through, I think I maybe had two sessions with this lady. I found the courage in myself to end a really toxic relationship, long distance relationship. And so um, that was the catalyst. I think that, and I I don't know how it came about, but um, you know, it's like, I am a firm believer that one conversation can change your life. Mm. And um, around that same time, then, um, because I, I came up, became available, <laughs> I had ended that relationship. A longtime friend of mine came out of the woodwork and was a bit of a knight in shining armor. And we've now been married almost 20 years and have three kids. So, um, yeah. So he really turned me back to having a relationship with God, which I had rejected for many, many years. And slowly but surely, I began to um, fill that spiritual part of myself that had been so depleted Hmm. and started to find a way out. But it really took, I mean, and that was... 2001. Um, but it wasn't until 2019, honestly, wow. that I addressed my grief. Yeah. I mean, it still took me in 2017, I self published my book and 2014. I, I call that my unraveling because my youngest was starting kindergarten. I had decided to close a business that I poured my heart and soul into. And, you know, I found all of these old things coming back up that I'd never addressed. And so I thought I was crazy. I thought (laughs) I was very much isolating myself. Um, I took every personality assessment I could find because I just thought if I could just understand myself better. Like what is, what is this, what missing piece am I missing? Like, what am I missing here? Like, why can't I figure my shit out? (laughs) Why does this pattern keep repeating? I was, I was a raging mom. Um, and yeah, it wasn't until 2019 where I discovered grief recovery. I went to Google, um, but I had more losses in between there. I had a very significant loss. My my father's brother was diagnosed with uh, brain cancer, Trust and I had not seen him since my father's funeral. Mm. So when my dad had passed away, I not only lost my father, but I, his entire family, um, the communication just completely cut off. So I had not actually seen my uncle and him and my father were really close. I hadn't seen him for, it was 30 years, almost to the day of my father's funeral. And I went to the hospital to see him. And that was a very transformative experience. And we had six months of reconnecting Mm -hmm. and um, yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing experience. I think for both of us. Um, 
and that, yeah, I'm just, yeah, that was really that. And another, I lost a friendship that meant a lot to me. And, um, I just thought, you know, I'm really sick of this grief crap. Mm. (laughs) Um, I want to learn how to deal with this and I want, I want to help people deal with it themselves because I knew how, how impactful it had been Mm. all my life, you know, over 30 years. So. Wow. It's weird. Whereabouts to your, you're telling me all these beautiful intimate details about about your own destruction, I guess, self-destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, you make me reflect constantly and maybe to a degree that I have underestimated the amount of trauma that I had. I knew I had more than my fair share, but fuck me, this is... Uh, whilst you were talking, I said, yeah, tick, uh, yeah, tick, tick, tick. Tick, 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 tick. I needed two hands to tick, you know? There was a lot of ticking going on. And then that only shows that that trauma doesn't need to be your best friend blown up on a battlefield in front of you and you wearing his innards on your face. Um, that's the obvious stuff. But trauma comes in so many disguises. But it still has a profound impact every single time especially when you have not yet been privileged to get that that catalysmic kind of thing happening that finally makes you sit up and realize that what you have been doing, the way you have been acting, the way you have been behaving uh, was actually a part of the problem and making, making things not better actually worse. Bloody hell. It's interesting that you say, here I was, 2017, I wrote my book. And then only 2019, did I actually see the the, the reality of it? That in its own right is also of paramount importance. Guys, because trauma comes in layers, healing comes in layers. And you started the healing process. You started the healing process quite some time ago. But Mm -hmm. it took you basically 20 years now from getting out of that initial toxic relationship, um, getting slowly better, uh, and then life interferes. (laughs) And then then the next bout of, oh, shit, a realization happens. And you maybe get the chance again to address now a different part of grief or a different part of trauma. And I guess that's life. So sorry, guys out there, if you were waiting here to hear that magic. Oh, wow, there it is. She did hypnotherapy, one session, cured, brilliant. Um, Brilliant, no. And we are also not having a special on that pill where you just take a week of a pill and then you're all better. I'm sorry, we all run out of that together with with the miracle ones, okay? So, my goodness. Um is that if we now say this is actually a lifelong journey to to heal, to grow, to transform, bloody hell, are we not not pushing people away by saying so? Uh, Is there hope out there for crying out loud? There is. And, you know, I want to mention too, like alcohol didn't go away after 2001, you know, Mm -hmm. because becoming a parent 
in an entrepreneur really brought up all of my insecurities and uh, all of my self-worth issues mm. and all of that. And so alcohol definitely became a way I coped as a mother who felt like they were failing in all kinds of ways. So it's, that's been an ongoing journey and process. But when I, I, I don't want to leave people feeling like I did in that, well, I guess I'm just meant for a life of suffering. And that's really what I had been feeling like. And you know, there's no magic pill. There's no, you know, I can tell you that grief recovery changed my life. And I am not mincing words when I say that, because it was the one thing and it is the only evidence-based program for moving beyond grief, the only evidence-based program. It was and has been the only thing that has helped me address what has been emotionally incomplete in every single relationship that I have, whether it's my parents dead or alive, Mm. whether it's my relationship with alcohol or money or my inner child, Mm. the tools that I gained from grief recovery literally have been the gift that have kept on giving. And so when I'm walking someone else through the process that I went through myself and continue to utilize, I had someone, actually my client just last night had, this is how he described it. And he's in his sixties. So he's had a lot of years to accumulate grief, right? And he described the program in this short sentence. And he said, you know, this program has opened me up to the past, but it also has opened me up to the future. Beautiful. Beautiful. And I said, can I use that as a testimonial? <laughs> because literally that, that I could have said the exact same thing. And I have, I, I truly have found my calling and my passion and I've been living to my potential because I address the grief. Beautiful, beautiful. I'm very sorry, Victoria. I will have to steal that um, because that is so beautiful. It is in one sentence. It actually describes what we are doing because you're, you're, you're by facing the reality, the brutal reality uh, of your own life by actually looking at the facts under the cold light of a day that allows you to grow. And when we say, uh, when, there's this nice saying, um, the past is the past, it has gone, um, live in the moment. That's all very true. And we want you to be mindful. We want you to be, live every second as the gift that it is um at the same token if there is a lot of emotional baggage there that is holding you back that is holding you down um so in in some aspects of your life here's the thing you could have asked me at different points throughout my life 
how I was doing or how, how I felt uh, about my life. And yeah. I would have said, I'm doing pretty good. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> oh, how beautiful. But okay, is that the alcoholic in you that is saying, because 95% nope. of alcoholics will say, or of addicts will say, no, there's nothing wrong with me. And they even believe that, uh, that the denial is part of, of the disease of addiction. Um, or is that actually also part of the disease of life? Um, that, that, that we try to keep up these masks, that we try to... Uh, even even people like you and me who have suffered from a lot of trauma um is that our our last mask to hold on to we will not let go of that pretense that everything is all right to a degree that we even believe it is true we will say i'm fine uh -huh. whether we are pounding a six pack or going to yoga class <laughs> you know what i mean like very true very or true. writing a book about your own grief journey because at 2014 2015 six well around 2016 17 yeah. i would have said i was in a good place i would have felt pretty good wow. about myself and about my life right but we don't see how these how we are showing up in the world to our kids how we parent how we how productive we are in our work no. how how we show up in how how much purpose we feel we have in our lives mm. or passion mm. we don't see that 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 any of those areas that are lacking for you are rooted in grief and likely from your past and your childhood mm. And that's so important to say, because you don't know what you don't know. You don't see what is not immediately in front of you. Um, the denial is not necessarily an active state of, no, no, I pretend everything is all right. No, you actually believe it because you're not looking underneath the carpet and see what's 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 hidden underneath there. That is the, the key thing that you just said. Uh, but and while we're putting on that charade, uh, right, people around us, especially our family, aren't going to call us out on anything that they maybe see because we think they've got it under control or they've convinced, yeah. you know, you can become a pretty good convincer, uh, manipulator of words, right? Uh, when you've had... 30 years experience <laughs> trying to convince true. yourself, right? Very true. Very yeah. true. You could, you've worked many years to convince yourself. So, it, you know, it's become second nature to convince uh, other people, uh, 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 right? Uh, so it, we can't see the label from inside the jar. It's not even, we don't know what we don't know, which is true. And I actually said that last night to my client because we can, and that definitely applies with relationship to other people. Because we we often, especially acquaintances or things like that, someone pisses you off, someone does something, says something, you you take offense to it, or you feel like a, you were a victim of that person or something they did or said. We never ask and pause to ask ourselves, what is it in them that is causing them to treat me that way? Ah. Uh. Uh. So true, so important, 
No, you kind of froze. Oh, Emma? Am I still frozen? You were a bit frozen. Am I still frozen? Not frozen anymore. <laughs> okay. Uh, my internet connection is unstable, which is intriguing. Okay. So let's not speak for a moment. I do a sound clap. Uh, what was the last you were talking? So I think you, I got you very clear, but obviously what went out from me did not work. So give me five seconds, sound clap, and then I continue. And let me just think for a moment. You were saying, what were we saying? You were just talking. We don't know what we don't know, but we can't see the label from inside the jar. I like that actually. It's a really nice metaphor. Okay. Give me five seconds. You can't see the label from within the jar. What a beautiful metaphor. And that is so, so true. I mean, there's a pitfall though also. I mean, sometimes we, we, if we now look at others with those glasses, we can always find reasons why they behave the way they behave or why therefore you behave like you behave. If we, however, I mean, there's there's a pitfall there, certainly for me, that I become too empathic, that I actually become too focused on, oh, yeah, they have got a poor childhood, they've got that, they've got that, oh, my God, no, okay. And then you become so accepting of a behavior that maybe should not be accepted. Where do you draw that line? How do you draw that line in the first instance? I'm so glad the conversation went here because as an empath myself oh. um, and as a child, I was an emotional, energetic sponge and required a lot of sleep. I slept a lot. Mm. And it never, it wasn't until like in the past since 2019 I got my Reiki masters and I'm I do sound healing now and just learning about energy itself and as an empath that it's been huge for me in learning about how our emotions our energy and how to protect myself from not attaching to other people's stories from not feeling like I am their savior or that I need to <laughs> fix them. It's not my job. <laughs> and so this is where we talk about boundaries. Uh, uh, <laughs> and I wouldn't have known a boundary if it slapped me in the face until I went through grief recovery. <laughs> Shit. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Oh God, again. Tick, 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 tick. <laughs> um, and it's so hard because um it is in order to to see behaviors of others for what they are, we actually have to learn a bit about feelings and emotions in ourselves. Bingo. Uh, and exactly so <laughs> there is a lot of work to be done there. And and in all fairness, it is 
there's this joke about men. Hey, we have feelings. Sometimes we feel hungry. Sometimes we feel thirsty, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. It, unfortunately, I was a bit like that. I could not, I could not name um, those those waves that were washing over me. I was like Pavlov's dog. Yes, someone, someone rang a bell and I started drooling or someone pressed a button and I exploded. Um, so there was that was me for a long part time in my life. Um, how did you how did you come towards your realizations about your about the need to set boundaries? What brought that home to you? What was the the the, the fact that we actually said, huh, maybe I have become an enabler, maybe I have become part of the problem rather than part of the solution? I had to take a responsibility mm. for what I experienced in my life. I had to own my emotional response to, <laughs> to others and to what I experienced in my life. Mm. I had to take emotional responsibility Ooh, for myself. Nice. Nice. Swipe my sweep my own doorstep. And when I started to do that, I really started to understand myself and learn. That's when I really learned about myself. Like grief recovery helped me to see the patterns. It helped me to see the root of where these certain things were repeating in my life. And awareness is the first step, right? And any change that we make. And so that was huge for me, just the having the self-awareness, mm. living consciously and understanding that because I'm in relationship with others, that I do have a responsibility and a role because it, like they say, it takes two to tango, right? Mm. There's always two people in oh, a relationship, yeah. whether it's with money, mm. career, mm. what you can insert anything. You take you everywhere you go. <laughs> so what is your responsibility mm. in those relationships? <laughs> Where have I allowed Absolutely. other people yeah absolutely yes you're right yeah. i was about to show you my books uh my steps to sobriety um and it, i demystified uh, the 12 steps of the aa system or similar systems and the step four is exactly about that and it is a, a step where you take a brutal inventory of of yourself you really shine the light inside of you and this was the hardest step for me, in, in all fairness, because you've got all these mental constructs that make you um, more the saint uh, in your own thing. You you distort the reality just that little bit so that basically everything is, is yeah, someone else's fault. I was very good in that, I'll tell you guys. Um, and then when you actually start um, truly making lists and I, I always take the resentment list for example resentment lists are very simple you write three columns uh, leave a bit space on that side and then you write okay you resent that person 
that's what he has done. That's how he made you feel. And you can write pages. I could write pages. I, I, there are a lot of people who, are, who had done me wrong. Okay, fair call. And then as part of your, your journey, you move a little bit on. And then someone guides you back to that list. And now adds a fourth column on there and says, okay, so we have got that situation there. Where were you in that situation? What role did you play? <laughs> and then suddenly you have to say, oh, ah. and that is when you truly, truly recognize that you are not necessarily the victim, that you're actually part of the problem. And that is when you start to allow yourself to grow because you have found the chink in your armor that, that you were not aware of. And now you can start patching that chink up. It will never be the same strength and you will always have that scar in there. But um, like Kintsugi, Japanese art of fixing porcelain with gold glue, you create something new that is incredibly beautiful. Uh, maybe no longer as functional and as strong in that particular area, but incredibly beautiful. And that is the chance that you have got with your own life. And that's a chance that 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 communication with others and and retrospection and self-inspection allows you. But guess what I've just said? These are all actually active steps. Active steps. This is not just you sitting back and pondering. This is actually taking action and being willing to actually go out there and face that animal, those, those emotions, those feelings. Oh, God. I hated them. I hated to learn about my feelings. Um, how was that for you? Did you did you have a similar antipathy to to uh, uh, God feeling session? Did you ever do sessions like that? In rehab, we do that. Ten o'clock in the morning. It's feelings where you basically sit around in a circle, and the, the rules are that you are not allowed to disguise yourself. So no sunglasses, no hat, nothing in your hands, just you and your emotions. Fuck, that was brutal. Um, how was your journey there? How did you actually get to know your emotions and how you tick? Well, I knew anger pretty well by the time I had gotten <laughs> to uh, brief recovery. So yeah. that one was uh, that one was really uh, anger. Yeah, was a big one for me. You know, in grief recovery, we say that resentment is a poison you take hoping that someone else dies. Ah, ha, 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 ha. Ooh, love it, love it, love it. And I Such knew a... resentment too, yeah. Ooh. So, you know, that bitterness that um, it, it really just eats away and chips away at your soul and your spiritual self connection. And if we can start to look at the different pieces of our lives that have contributed to wherever we are currently mm. and look at it for what it, as it is, mm. you can start to see and learn from those experiences. But unless you're willing to look at it, unless you're always going to say the past is the past, I don't have to dig up the past. Ah. It happened in the past. Like people say that all the time. And it's like yeah. the past is the present until it is addressed, healed, worked through, looked at whatever adjective you want to put in there. 
Oh, that's beautiful. And that is so true. We all know those people. And at times we have been those people. Um, but it is very, very hard. And many people are not ready to do so. I know that certainly my mother and I had an incredibly not nice relationship. And she there was a lot of mental health uh, problems and probably a decent personality disorder on her behalf. But I know the amount of trauma that she has gone through in her life was tremendous. And she refused to deal with that. She refused to talk mm -hmm. about it. And it's hard. It's really, really hard. Um, and it is what it is. So people might not be ready to face the truth, to face their own demons. Yet, I mean, what do you do if there's someone in your family who is behaving like that? You finally got the emotional insight yourself to realize what is actually happening. And you have got a strong suspicion that that person is suffering from the flow and effects of trauma in their past, but is now refusing to take any steps whatsoever and is continuing in a self-destructive behavior. And maybe often enough, not self-destructive, but destructive to the family. What do you do? I think before I answer that, I want to go back to five words you said, a sentence you said, it is what it is. And so many people will say that it is what it is like in it. To me, what I hear when I hear that is that happened. I can't change it. Yeah. But what was the what is the emotional truth of how that made you feel? Because although there may be and I'll use what you just what you shared as an example, although there may have been mental health challenges that doesn't change the fact that however she treated you or showed up for you or didn't show up for you, there would have been a disconnect, an emotional disconnection there. And how did that make you feel? How did that impact your life? Because regardless of, of the circumstances of why that occurred, it doesn't, we cannot dismiss how those things made us feel. And when Sometimes the reason can be a way that we bypass and dismiss our own emotions. And so I wanted to circle back to that. It, it, it's not, it is what it is. That's, we need to look at those things that we say that about because there is emotional residue there. And when it comes to other people in our lives who are refusing to look at, mm their past and reflect and introspect. And, you know, you can lead a, a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, but you can mm -hmm. put boundaries in place mm -hmm. so that your self wellness is not at sacrificed, but you can still show up for those people with compassion and love, mm -hmm. but with boundaries. And so that's why boundaries are so important how to how to communicate those how to stick to them and really look at your values mm. so many of us don't live our lives based on our own values we dishonor our own values yep. and everyone has their own values 
Very nicely said. Very nicely said. I think this is this is the key to it. But it's so hard to to do all those insights in in a in a hectic, fast paced life that constantly challenges you. Um and sometimes we are on on uh on slave drivers, so to speak. We are using the own whip on ourselves. I'm I've always been a workaholic. I've always thrown myself into any kind of work, any kind of uh, thing. I can get myself easily lost in 16 hours of work. <laughs> exactly. Why? Mm -hmm. Because then I don't have to face the trauma. So it's mm -hmm. just as much as an escapism than maybe my alcohol was. So maybe it's just mm -hmm. another addiction. And therefore, workaholic is actually very fitting for me. Um yeah, great. It brought me a long way in 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 my job, in in my in those things that I do. But do I take the time to reflect and to review to see what impact my emotions have on me, what impact others have on me? And it's it's intriguing what you said. It is what it is, because I use that a lot. But I use that in a positive way, because after all, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Mm -hmm. So as a means of me not being resentful about something, uh, because I have no control over what has just happened to me, but I've got a control over how I feel about it. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying is take that one step further. Yes, acceptance is very important, but don't believe for a moment that this acceptance and that whatever has just happened to you will just wash over you like water off a duck's back. Rather, it will leave you with another new mental scar that needs to heal and that maybe you need to address. I think that is the big, the big difference or bringing these two thought patterns together mm -hmm. and letting them merge into a constructive reality. Yes. Mm. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Damn, you make me think, girl. More importantly, <laughs> you, you make me feel. <laughs> in grief recovery, too, like with workaholism and all of these behaviors that we resort to to feel better and to avoid and to stuff mm. away and what have yeah. you, we call them STURBS, short-term energy relieving behaviors. And so, yeah, if you're pouring yourself into work, you know, is there something there that your self-worth is driven by doing? Like uh -huh. I have to do, 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 show up, show up, show up, yep. push myself to the limits because that's where my worth is. <sighs> Stop holding the mirror in front of my face. <laughs> I know it is just that's a problem. You can't bullshit a bullshitter. Here you are. You are the classic example for it because you've yes. been there. You've done that. And so I, it's just... yes. <laughs> I actually one of my strengths is connectedness. So yeah. I really it, I can I can see patterns. Um, it's very easy for me to connect the dots for other people. Yeah. But not for yourself. Oh, beautiful. It wasn't. It oh. wasn't for a long time. I can now. 
But still, like you said earlier, it takes time to reflect, right? We have to make that time to reflect. And yeah, the, the, the craziness is, it's just, it, I was the same. I was, mm-hmm. when I sat in the clinic, I knew exactly a guy walks through the door. I could read the alcoholic from a mile away. Depression, anxiety. Yeah, I see you. Uh, I saw behind grief, the mask. Grief, grief, grief. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> could I see it behind the, my own mirror? Can I see it behind my mask? No. And interestingly enough, it was also, I could never see it in my family. I was, mm. it was all too close. Mm-hmm. And even nowadays, I'm struggling with it, in all fairness. Maybe I don't want to see it. Maybe I see so much out there that I want to pretend that I'm in, in a living in a, in a beautiful little world where everything is all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't work so well. <laughs> but another thing that you though said is there was a lot of connection there and you connecting with yourself and you connecting mm-hmm. with others and practicing that i think that is such a beautiful thing that we have not highlighted yet in this interview because the opposite to addiction is connection the opposite of of suffering is indeed taking action by a serious steps of mental jousting a bit with your own emotions and then taking action in the sense of having a willing willingness to say yes okay we deal with this um but equally also the past is not the future we are now dealing with it and in a moment when we have dealt with that we make a conscious decision to now say okay what positive is there let's look at something positive so is there room for positive affirmations? Is there room for gratitude mm-hmm. in a grief journey? Absolutely. I, I, those are tools in the toolbox. They're tools in the toolbox. Mm. I think there's you know a combination of things mm. that we can bring into our lives that, and for me, that was like, uh, I took different programs. It was mm. stepping stones. Once I committed myself to understanding my past and to learning from my past one thing led to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing and after grief recovery it's still the same like one thing leads to reiki led to biofield tuning and energy work and all that you know like umap and all these things that i'm doing and certifications that i've added they've all like one thing leads to the next thing to the next thing and this unfolding and growing into the next version of myself which is beautiful the ongoing journey and it is so Mm -hmm. true so guys if you're only just now sort of thinking what the hell are they talking about um please let me reassure you that this journey is one of the craziest roller coaster riders yeah right you could possibly imagine um it goes through tremendous amounts of joy and light and Unfortunately, we also through some darkness, um, but this time you're no longer the passive victim in that darkness, but you're actually um, holding the the steering wheel, the driver's wheel. You're in the driver's seat going through that darkness because you can address things, you can take action. And by taking action and, and realizing you have got choices, 
how to feel, what to feel, how to respond to your feelings. And that takes you from the victimhood to the survivor. And the more you practice tools, the more you accumulate skills and, and tools in your toolbox, the more you then become a thriver. And that is so important. And that's even more important nowadays because we're living in a very uncertain world and this world is going tits up as we, wherever you look. A lot of things are not going well. Guess what? There's more trauma waiting for you. You like it or lump it. I mean, if the last two years with COVID uh, and uncertainty in the world has shown us anything, that the next trauma is just waiting around the corner. But guess what? It's like going to a gym. Um, first time you look at these racks of the weights and you take the lightest weight and you can barely lift it. And you think, oh God, you know, if you actually keep showing up in the gym, guess what? Very soon it becomes actually easier to move these weights. And it's the same with your mental ability to see your own feelings, analyze your own reactions. What is, what your, your lower brains want to, want to do the anger, the resentment, the depression, all those kind of things. It is, it's beautiful when you begin to see it. And when you begin to see those reactions as messengers from your soul, from your body. And I think that is, that was the biggest breakthrough for me to accept that these neurochemicals, they're there for a reason. Often enough because I fucked up often enough because I actually did not look after myself and that I'm hungry, angry, lonely, tired, the halt. Um, uh, no surprise that I suddenly yearned for a glass. So, oh, it's beautiful. It is beautiful because here we've got two thrivers. Um, still from now and then dipping back into survivor, from now and then into the victim. Okay, I'm from now and then going back there. Um, but I, I realize when it happens. And maybe I allow myself a little bit of a pity party. And then I, however, I have the skills to go back out of there. I like the analogy of, you know, what you described as really an act of building our emotional resiliency. And it's deciding, do I want to just glance in the rearview mirror? Or do I want to be sitting in the back seat? Mm. No, I'd rather mm. just glance, mm. recognize, oh yeah, the past is there. Here mm. it's creeping up. It's showing up in this way. It's showing up in that way, but not allowing yourself to fall back into the back seat, still remaining in the driver's seat. Mm. And that's what you're, you're speaking to. And that's the analogy I like to use. It's like, mm. if our life is a car, and we're looking in the windshield at our future. Mm. How much of the time are we spending looking in the rear view or mm. in the back seat? Mm. And sometimes when you don't know where you're going, you have to look back and actually see how far you have come. And so mm -hmm. <laughs> again, to stick with that yes. analogy, that is there is a benefit in looking into the past. So don't just now tape up the rear view mirror. It doesn't work like that. Exactly. <laughs> yes. This is this is this is after you've worked through the past exactly. and you're replaying. <laughs> Thank exactly. you for clarifying that. Yeah. <laughs> no. But it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, guys, it is this 
Well, uh, Victoria, first of all, I have to thank you because I did not see that coming, actually. I knew this would be an interesting talk with you. But again, we reflected so much and I have grown in the in this short little hour. I've grown quite a bit again by reflecting and by holding the mirror in front of my face, having you hold it for me. Thank you. Um, and it is beautiful. I wouldn't have it any other way because that makes me a different man today, a man who's stronger, stronger than he was when I got up this morning. And that's, mm. that's what I love. That's why I am on this journey. And I wouldn't have it any other way. There's too much shit has happened and too much self-destructive behavior has happened for me to now not embrace the light and do everything to in my power to move towards the light. And yeah, okay, two steps forward, one step back. Fair call. Okay, <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> in a positive way, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Victoria, if people really gel with you and they want to know more about you and find you, where can they find you? My website is theunleashedheart.com and I have links to all my social media on there. I'm at The Unleashed Heart on Instagram and I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook and my podcast is called Grieving Voices and my book you can find on my website too. And I have a uh, an online group program starting November 30th. And so I'm excited for that to start. Uh, uh, unfortunately, the, the moment we are airing uh, this this video, it will be in December. So it will, oh, be, that's okay. it will be after that. But there will, I'm that's sure okay. there will be another program coming there after. Yes. So guys, don't despair. Just look down there into the description of the YouTube video and of the podcast because you get all of uh, Victoria's links down there. So uh, there is, life is full of opportunities. And if many of the things or some of the things that we have discussed today, if that rang a bell with you, maybe a painful clang rather than a nice ling, ling, ling. Um, <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Maybe that little painful realization is, or maybe today was that discussion, that interview, that voice that you needed to hear to now take action. And I always believe in the five-minute gardener um, if you every day, every single day, go into the garden and spend five minutes, never more, never less. But if you do that every day, after a week, you can see quite some change yourself. After three weeks, your neighbors will think, whoa, that looks good. And, you know, this is what is happening. We keep going with that. Put work in every little day. Little work, but constant work. You have no idea the, the cumulative interest um, that you get. It's beautiful. So guys, I, I, I so much want to enjoy you to come onto this ride called life and, and life on our terms in the driver's seat. Uh, Victoria has, has built up her momentum uh, in her drive and she is now leaving a legacy by talking to other people and maybe sharing some of the insights there. What have you got to lose? Check her out, check down there, look into the description of the YouTube video, click those links. Whilst you're down there, before you head off to Victoria, click the like and subscribe button there because I've got so many fantastic guests coming on and there are so many beautiful realizations waiting to happen for those who actually come back and, and join me with my guests and maybe with some of the other projects I'm involved in. Life is beautiful. That's all I can say. 
Victoria, thank you so much for coming on to my show. You were, oh, the universe sent you. Um, as a reason I had to talk to you today. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been, I've it? absolutely loved this conversation. So thank you so much. <laughs> sure. And you guys out there, live with passion and look after yourself. Bye. Bye-bye. I never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Turn around.